Welcome to Green Bites, Sustainable Asia's weekly environmental news podcast. I'm Shermaine Lee, and I'm Kuo Tran. In less than ten minutes, we offer you bite-sized green updates in Asia we think you should know about. Hi, Shermaine. So, have you been following COP26? Hey, Koa. It's impossible not to, right? It's arguably one of the most critical meetings that decide our collective future. Do countries really walk the talk? Will we be able to really fight climate change? Nearly everyone in the world pitched in. Greta Thunberg called out world leaders for not doing enough, chanting, "You can shove the climate crisis up your ass." Outside the meeting in Glasgow. Major stars like Leonardo DiCaprio, Ellen DeGeneres, and singers like Pitbull and Cher started an appeal to urge leaders to accelerate efforts to mitigate climate change. So DiCaprio flew to Glasgow and took everyone by surprise. While some lauded his dedication, his appearance stirred debates about how his lifestyle and the fact that he took a flight to Glasgow emits carbon. I mean, it's a little ironic when you think about the carbon emission costs of attending a conference on climate change. That's why the world is heavily focusing on what's promised in this conference. About a hundred countries signed on a global pledge. To cut methane emissions by 30% of 2020 levels by 2030, but well, we have to see if they can achieve that. Now, let's talk about the most important ones that are related to Asia. Let's start with the world's largest carbon emitter, China. President Xi Jinping said at COP26 that countries need to uphold multilateral consensus and work together. He also stressed setting realistic targets and visions. And speeding up the green transition, China said it did its job by releasing two directives that outline an action plan for slashing carbon dioxide before 2030. The plans cover coal, electricity, iron, and steel, as well as support measures in terms of tech, carbon sink, fiscal and taxation, and financial incentives. Beijing reached a deal with 40 other countries, including the UK, US, and India. To achieve a near-zero emission steel production by 2030, and to end deforestation by then. So the country's top climate negotiator also said a broad deal on carbon markets between the U.S. and China is possible despite ongoing tensions. It sounds great and all, but that doesn't sound like there are any new pledges in that speech. This comes at a time when the Global Carbon Project, a group of climate scientists, Estimated that China's carbon emissions will go up by four percent compared to last year, since it is now emitting 5.5 percent above pre-pandemic levels. Last year, China was responsible for nearly one third of the world's fossil fuel carbon. And although experts don't expect China to maintain the growth of coal, some say China's effort in switching to renewables and slashing industrial activities. Aren't enough to offset already high levels of emissions from its economic growth. A separate study published in Nature Communications revealed something even more alarming. In 2010, out of all G20 countries, China had the highest number of people dying earlier than the average life expectancy from diseases related to air pollution. For every 20 people, one will suffer from a premature death. The study linked deaths and consumption patterns in G20 countries. 
It showed that in 2010, China's production-based emissions caused a death of over one million people in China and 185,000 in other countries. Production-based emissions are emissions from all oil, coal, and gas consumed in the country. This means China, as the world's factory, emits lots of carbon, which, as a result, also claims the most lives domestically. Its neighbor, Japan, has vowed $10 billion over the next five years in climate-related assistance in an effort to decarbonize countries in Asia. The new Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said in his speech at COP26 that this amount will go toward fulfilling the COP15 commitment in 2009 to provide developing countries with an annual total of $100 billion by 2020. Tokyo said it will encourage switching to renewable energy through development assistance and investing in private sectors. Kishida added that converting the existing thermal power plants to zero-emission power generation is necessary. The country earlier started a project worth a hundred million U.S. dollars to switch from burning fossil fuels to using ammonia and hydrogen, a process that generates non-toxic and non-greenhouse gases. India, another prominent carbon emitter whose government has criticized the West for polluting their way into becoming developed, has promised to slash its carbon emissions to net zero by 2070. It is two decades later than the global target of 2050 and a decade later than China, but a good start for the developing nation. India did also pledge to generate half of its electricity from renewables by 2030, which is still ambitious considering the country ranks fourth in emitting carbon after China, the U.S., and the EU. South Korea also made a new pledge at COP26. President Moon Jae-in said the country will cut greenhouse gas emissions by 40% from 2018 levels by 2030. A dramatic step up from its previous target by 26.3 percent only. This will require raising its current annual generation of renewables from 7 percent in 2020 to 30 percent in 2030. Experts said South Korea will also need to boost its offshore wind power plants, which are expected to offer 12 gigawatts to the country's grid. Moon added. That his government will work to reduce greenhouse gas emissions on the entire Korean Peninsula through forestry cooperation between the South and North. But how exactly that will happen comes into question. This joint effort in forestry was actually one of the key commitments made in the 2018 Inter-Korea Summit in Pyongyang. Since then, however, the situation between the two countries has become more tense. Pyongyang blew up an inter-Korea liaison office last year in retaliation to joint military drills between Seoul and Washington, and is constantly testing missiles in threatening ways. Political tensions aside, and looking strictly at the environment of North Korea, deforestation is actually a serious issue there. Over 70% of the country's terrain is mountains and forests. And about one third of that is believed to be deforested. That's interesting. How come so much of its forests have been cut down? In the 1990s, people cut down trees for fuel or to cultivate cropland during an extreme food crisis. The excessive logging did not stop for decades, while the country now still suffers from severe floods each year, dampening hope on tree planting campaigns. The country said it will cut emissions by 8% by 2060, but can bump that up by drastically to 40% by 
If international support is provided to build nuclear power plants and use renewable energy, at the same time, developing nations like Bangladesh called on wealthy countries to fulfill their promises to cut emissions and offer financial aid. The effects of global warming from cyclones and floods might force over 30 million people to be displaced from the country's coastal regions. The country's leaders said that although they contribute only a tiny fraction of global warming, they are taking the brunt of it. The 1.2 billion population in these climate-vulnerable nations emit only 5% of global emissions, but are projected to suffer some of the worst impacts of climate change. Bangladesh plans to generate 30% of its energy from renewables by the end of the decade, and the country seems eager to carry out its green plans. To boost the economy and create more jobs for its people, top officials believe that the country can add up to seven percent of its GDP and create over four billion jobs under the plan. It will develop wind farms along its coast to revitalize the mangrove forests that might be the shield against storms and flooding. That's all for us this week. We have a small announcement before we end. Seeing how our staff are getting busier heading towards the final stretch of the year, we've decided to have our podcast released every two weeks instead of a usual weekly basis. But don't worry, that will also give us more time to find more climate news bites from Asia you cannot miss. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channels for more content and share our podcast with your friends and family. If you are interested in sponsoring Green Bites or have any comments about our content, we would love to hear from you. Email us using communications at sustainableasia.co or drop us a line on social media. Our handle is at sustainableasia. Thanks for listening.